0: positive thinking, um, like there, there's there's a big study that shows it actually changes outcomes. And, and so it's not just positive thinking, you have to do the work around it, but to do the work around it, you have to believe an outcome is possible. And so I think that idea that we're always all in the process of becoming, and that if we're fortunate enough to have, you know, kind of a family sustaining income and be able to pick and choose professions, which is not tr- true for everyone that you're kind of looking at butterfly effects in your life, you're looking for things like Angel City and it it doesn't need to be a job, it doesn't need to be a business thing, it can be a hobby, it can be a whatever, but you're looking to just kind of keep kind of playing the poker game in the right way, such that at some point in time you break through and this thing happens is, I think is really important.
1: We doing out there folks this is your host with the most Kenny Vaughn I am back here with the dynamic trio ladies would love to hear from you
2: what is up everybody it is Sophia I play for team Breakline
3: hey everybody this is Bethany Coates I also play for team Breakline and I am fired up to be here
1: Mm, so, Bethany, can we talk about this fire real quick because you you may have an inside scoop on this week's particular guest, Kara Nortman. Most of us know her as the managing partner of, of Upfront Ventures. She's also a co-founder of Angel City Football Club, um, but you have known her for quite some time. Would you mind just sharing who Kara is to you as a friend?
3: Absolutely. Kara Nortman and I have been friends for over 20 years and she um, was my roommate in graduate school. She was also my husband's roommate in college so we go way way back and I just love her so much. I. Um, It has been so much fun as her friend to see her thrive as a professional and as a leader. Kenny, as you said, becoming co-managing partner of Upfront Ventures, um, really breaking down barriers within the venture capital sector, Um, but also co-founding Angel City. You know, the thing that I know,
2: it
3: really is. And it came out of this experience that she had of being a huge fan of women's soccer and not being able to find, not being able to to consume the games and and find the games as a spectator or find um, the merchandise, you know, as a fan. And so what I love about her is that she's incredibly action oriented. She saw a gap and she took charge and is a change maker and she is creating the world she wants to live in and she's creating the world she wants her daughters to live in. I just have so much respect for that. She's not waiting for anybody else to do it for her. She went out there and got it done herself. And so I'm just delighted to be able to tell a little bit of her story yes
2: like her energy was so infectious i can totally see how you guys would be best friends you have the same angle of doing this good and meaningful work and but also trying to carve out other spaces for others to do that um and bethany one of the best parts of the conversation for me was you know you were asking her kind of where she derives all of this energy from and she was like i have energy around the things that i'm passionate about but she attributes so much of that towards developing a positive mindset and she's like you know you can everyone has the potential to achieve everything that they want to but you have to create the mindset that allows you to pursue those goals um and like that was amazing you can really just things can come into fruition just by framing the journey itself um, and that was so incredible to me it's really something that we can all be a part of
1: mm-hmm. well you yeah, so ladies I hope you don't mind but i I just This this just kind of touched me in a special kind of way because what I loved about this conversation too was it's not like Kira went into these experiences wanting to found a soccer club, right? She went into it because, Bethany, to your point, it was something that she was passionate about and there was this congregation of amazing badass women right Mm -hmm. who said you know what we absolutely can do something about this and so as i think about not only her journey but also what we're doing here at break line with our mavens community right where we are bringing together a space for women to come together for them to step into the best version of themselves professionally personally um and to drive towards that next level of excellence it just shows that the sky is the limit and you literally can do whatever it is that you put your mind to so for all of our listeners but particularly our Mavens out there, man, I am so excited to share this conversation because it is such an inspiration to see what happens when change makers come together and say, you know what? We can do something about this pay equity issue. We can do something about the way that women are represented in these places and spaces. And to see the 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 come that, that come full circle, come on now. Y'all can get Hot me fired kid. up out here. Let's, <laughs> Let's do it. Come I on, love it when you then. get fired up, KB. I don't Woo. know about y'all, <laughs> but maybe we should give the listeners what they came here for. Let's I'll race you it. there, Kenny. <laughs> we will see y'all on the other side.
4: Kara, I just love having you here. Thank you for joining us.
0: Oh, thanks for having me here. I also love to tell my kids how I was both of your roommates and then have to explain that it was a friendship roommate situation with your husband. Wait, so were you president? And he was, what was he? I don't even know what you guys were. Well, no, in actually, in the hierarchy, there was some guy named Grant who was president. Yeah. Michael okay. was vice president, and I was the treasurer. And thank God I was the treasurer because I think it's the only way I got a job after college was convincing people that I knew how to write checks out of a bank account given my my resume. uh, You mostly had Ben and Jerry's on it. Ben and Jerry's (laughs) at the time.
4: So you've come a long way since then. We've had, you've had extensive Morgan Stanley, Battery Ventures, IAC working with Barry Diller. You've been the CEO of a startup. You are co-founder of All Raise, a co-managing partner of Upfront, and a co-founder of Angel City. So, girlfriend, you have been busy since those, you know, college and graduate school days.
0: Uh, I think maybe we're just getting old, Bethany. No, I don't. You no, know, I don't believe that. age is just a um, I actually want to
4: start with Angel City because we have a bunch of a bunch of athletes here and and a ton of energy around this amazing feat that you and a consortium of really cool people have pulled off and I want to I want to also name some of the people who are your co-founders and on the cap table with you with Angel City we're talking about 14 former women's national team players so it's like Mia Ham. People like Lindsey Vaughn, who knows a thing or two about, about being an athlete, Billie Jean King, Abby Wambach. Um, and then we've got like a really interesting mix of LA celebrities like Jessica Chastain and Eva Longoria and Natalie Portman. So it's just this really eclectic group of people who came together to do something really interesting and cool. Can you talk to us about the opportunity that you saw and how this collection of personalities came to the table together. And talk to us about the building Angel City and where you all are today. You've just started announcing some of your players. And, and our Breakland alum, Rachel Willis, who you met in Park City a couple of weeks ago, is interested in who else is going to be announced.
0: I, I, I keep it professional with the team. However, the first player we signed is, is someone named Kristen Press who actually was one of the very first players I met when Angel City was just sort of like a twinkle in my eye. And I'm meeting her tomorrow, um, seeing her in person for the first time in a very long time, obviously. And the first time I was an Angel City player, you know, in front of her billboard downtown. So it's sometimes I just have to pinch myself because I started out as, as a fan and then I moved to being a kind of, you know, a pay equity Activist, mostly because I I was so frustrated that no one would take my money. You know, I was trying to buy jerseys, I was trying to write, uh, watch content, and then it's translated into this kind of incredible capitalist experience. And and it it all was sort of a butterfly effect. It, it wasn't something I went into saying, I want to be a sports team owner. And in fact, I sort of felt weird about the whole thing. I'm in the throes of you know, building a firm in my career and, and raising a family and all of those different things. And, um, but I just embraced it. So, I mean, I can back up, I think Bethany, you probably know more about the story than you want. Um, I'll back up and I'll give sort of the quick version. If there's anything else you want to go more deeply on, uh, let me know. But I mean, basically it all sort of kicked off when I went to the 2015 World Cup uh, finals in Vancouver with my three daughters, uh, my husband and my parents, which was Super fun in Vancouver. And then as I mentioned, I just couldn't find a Jersey at all, let alone with a last name on it. And I was looking for a Klingenberg Jersey, which was particularly hard. And then when I got back to LA, I was so you know kind of inspired and I wanted to watch the players play more and I could not find an NWSL game to watch anywhere. You could watch it on Yahoo streaming. And while we all love Yahoo, we don't really watch that much on Yahoo streaming anymore. And it was as if it was being filmed from outer space on a phone, so it wasn't high quality. Fast forward, I, for two years, for a year and a half, two years, I just sort of was talking to people about, hey, there gotta be more people like me. And we all know as business people, when you have these marketing activation moments, you can acquire a customer, but if that customer can't actually continue to engage with you in some way and follow you, they go away. And so I think people are dramatically underestimating how big and important you know, women's sports and women's soccer in particular could be. And anyway, that led down a series of, I'd be just becoming friends with a number of people, including the head of the Players Association for the US Women's National Team. I got really motivated around sort of trying to bring visibility to their pay equity fight. Turns out uh, Natalie did too, Natalie Portman, who I had met through some of the work I'd done on the nonprofit side. And I mean, the the moral of the story is for me, as I look back, I think I would just, you know, like you do small talk at the beginning of meetings or at the end of meetings. And um, I basically just was passionate about the topic and I maybe brought it up in small talk and one out of every three meetings for three years. And now here we are with the (laughs) soccer team.
4: You know, you drop names like Natalie Portman, like it's just, you know, any of us would just kind of like cross paths with Natalie, (laughs) Natalie Portman. What, like, how did this actually happen? I want to talk about like Serena Williams and her daughter Olympia are also your co-founders here. Like, how did you actually consolidate this group of people? What was that process like? How did you actually get everybody at the table at the same time?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think think it's a good question. and, And I always try to think about how to answer these in ways that can be practical for everybody here. Because if you would ask me if, I would be having lunch with Natalie Portman, you know, 10 years ago. I too did not think that that would be the case. I think, in a, in a lot of ways, just really finding a common connection and passion about, around something that wasn't like transactional, you know, and, and was more about like building a real relationship. We met actually at a Time's Up retreat, right when Time's Up was starting. Um, and, and I helped start the nonprofit organization in the venture world called Allridge, which is you know, dedicated to doubling the percentage of female founders and funders. And so I sort of was there very early with Time's Up as, as, as sort of the liaison from the venture world and helping with a bunch of things. And literally, like at this event, it was like the opportunity for healthcare and entertainment and tech and women of all these industries to come together really for the, for the first time. But uh, basically they asked a few of us from tech to go on stage and talk to everyone for two or three minutes. And at the end of that time, I basically said something like, look, this is a really remarkable group of women everyone here is probably fancy or interesting in their own right. And our job is really like, if we can do one thing today it's expanding the tent and bringing more women into it. And if we can do a second thing, it would be to build one new real relationship coming out of this. And so I said, go up to someone who you don't know well but you wanna get to know, give them your mobile number, text them and figure out how to have a meal with them. And if they're weird, or block them, (laughs) but just go figure out how to like do something beyond just sitting here and and sort of like looking at each other. And so I went and gave my number to one woman named Angela Robinson, who's this amazing woman, writer, person in LA. Uh, And then the person who gave me her number was Natalie. (laughs) So Natalie came up to me and she gave me her number, still in my phone in the exact same way, Natalie P. And, um, you know, we t- she was interested in venture capital and other things. We talked on the phone a couple of times while she was on set. We'd been trying to get together for a meal. We finally got together for this meal. And at the end of that meal, this came up and she like, l- she lit up when I was talking about soccer. Uh, and she basically, what she said to me is she, she said, well, let's put a, something together where we can bring visibility to their pay equity fight. I can bring all my actress friends to a game. And I'm like, and I can bring all my tech friends. And oh, by the way, it turns out all the tech people wanna meet the actresses and all the actresses wanna meet the tech people. And so we all went to a game and there's pictures around this. If you Google, uh, it was a friendly game leading up to the World Cup. And that was sort of the start of it. And then we just became friends through our fanship and through the like trying to bring, trying to help out on the pay equity fight. and. Candidly, at one point in time, Natalie just texted me after I was texting her a bunch about really socialism. I was talking about the union and I was like gradually becoming a socialist as it relates to uh, getting the players funded. And she said, you know what, let's buy a team. Let's let's go do this, you know, and she basically just said, let's buy a team. And I thought she was insane. But she said it enough times that I I decided to do what we do as venture capitalists, which is go look at the market, figure out if there was real opportunity there. And if so, I needed, I, know, I knew I needed somebody amazing who could run it and sort of co-pilot it with me and Natalie. And that's when I brought in a woman named Julie Erman who is just tremendous and a tech exec and et cetera. And so um, to answer your question more specifically, these things just lead to, one thing leads to the next. So the beginning was hard and we got tons of no's like to fund it, for example. So Alexis, Uh, Olympia and Serena are our major backers, but you know, I I don't know, I like to say we got 97 no's and we were down to our last three. I don't know that we actually got 97, but it was not, it was not easy. It was a very confusing thing to figure out who would fund a women's soccer team in a league, you know, in, in a league that was in the process of becoming. But a lot of why we succeeded, I think, is because we, Natalie brought her community in and I brought my community in. And they were some of the earliest people to give us support. And that enabled us to bring the capital in. And I think a lot of it comes from people just believing in what we were doing, loving the mission, loving soccer, being able to go to that game with all those women. We had a blast. So it's also really fun. And I think we all need fun in tribes. And so every time we've brought more money in and we've done now three or four rounds, new exciting people show up. And, and now it's, you know, it's, um, it's been wonderful. And it will really look for people who are connected to the mission, love the sport, ideally have ties to LA or want to be in LA, because I think the most fun part of this is going to be that section of the stadium where we're all hanging out. And, you know, finally we have, you know, some version of our golf club because God only knows I'm never going to go to a golf club.
4: (laughs) So one thing that I love about you so much, I mean, that list is like four miles long, but one thing that I really love about you is you have such a zest for life when when nordie and i were roommates i would wake up like one eye open you know headache like <laughs> before like barely kind of able to get out of bed she would just wake up in a ball of energy just like ready to attack the day and you 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 still are like that where do you derive your energy from you are i mean you're you've started co-founded angel city you're the you're the co-managing partner of Upfront. That is your day job. And you've got three amazing girls and a husband and all kinds of other stuff going on. How do you stay energized and joyful as you approach all these various facets of your life? That's,
0: that's <laughs> is- the only answer I have. I drink a lot <laughs> a lot of coffee but i don't you know look i think i think these conversations around like we're all always crushing it aren't always super helpful i um, i think we all have our natural dispositions and you know i'm fortunate to have a husband here at home who sees my non-energized side and and manages through it nicely but uh i don't know you know i mean i think i've i've found more and more joy in and i mean look covid's been really hard and i think it's probably been hard for for a lot of people and and i you know i'm sitting sitting here in my house. My kids finally went to school today, Bethany, which is so exciting. My husband came back, came, came into the room today and said, do you hear that noise? I'm like, what noise? He's like, exactly. <laughs> They're at school. But um, I, um, you, you know, I, I sat down at my desk on Monday and I'm like, in my house and I'm like, when am I going to leave this house? You know, and I, there are parts of it, obviously I love. And and I'm grateful for just being able to be so close to my kids so often, but I think we, we have our natural dispositions and then we have to find the things that give us energy. And I mean, I probably like the easiest answer is that I'm getting better and better at, at finding small ways to revive my energy when I am in a low energy moment, a low sleep moment, et cetera. Um, much more so in the last month or two. It's probably because I got to go on a hike with Bethany and she inspired me But than before. So I went for a 10-minute run yesterday. I would have thought that that was extremely extremely pathetic at a different point in my life, but I knew it would do more for my mood than anything else. And that's all I ha- I could find yesterday. Today, it was a 23 minute run. So improvement, uh, I don't know, you know, all, all the usual little stuff that you guys probably hear from from others. But I'd say the biggest thing is I've sort of gotten to a place in my life, in my career, where it I can recognize there's certain people who I value working with in my life who just have negative energy, but I value them, but they have negative energy. And so I either go into those conversations with thicker skin or more intentionality about it and really appreciating and recognizing the substance of what they're doing and without the packaging, or I decide not to spend time with them if 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 that's not if that's not there. And then on my side, when I'm in a negative energy spot. I, I just try to think about like, do I want to hear what's about to come out of my mouth? And still, sometimes it does come out of my mouth, but I, I, I will I will wrap it in the right way so the person knows it's coming.
4: Okay, I love that last that last line. Do I want to hear what's coming out of my mouth? Sometimes I think about that after it's already come out of my mouth. So thank you for that reminder. You know I. I think there are other things that I've observed about you though in terms of self-care and really growing into the best version of yourself that I think are so inspiring and I love this commitment that you have. You do a ton of self-work. You you have a leadership coach, you joined an organization of peers which is like part, you know, professional education, part therapy, you do a ton of reading. One of your favorite books is the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Yeah. Um, Take note, everybody, I already have it on my Kindle. Um, And I, I just think you're, you're a really interesting combination of, to me, you present very much as an extrovert, but you are very introspective too. What is that about? Like, there are tons of people who go through their entire lives having no self-awareness.
0: I think you have a ton
4: of self-awareness. Where did that come from?
0: First of all, I just, I just want to sit here and have you compliment me all day long. This is definitely good for my positive energy. So thank you. Um, but I mean, a, a lot of it comes from time, you know, I think one of, uh, so I don't know that I, I mean, I think a lot about when I did my startup and what I would do differently. And I just think I was a different human being in, in my in my mid thirties and I was in my mid forties. And I think I now, sometimes I get to meet, I work with a number of founders. One I'm thinking about right now, who's in her twenties. And I'm like, gosh, you're like, you're like so self-aware and so evolved and so know your boundaries in a way that I had no clue back back then. Uh, Bethany, I feel that way about you. I mean, you and I talked about this recently, like and knowing your boundaries. I I talk a lot about know what your yeses are, know what your nos are, know what your maybes are and spend time in your maybes. But the, the more you can like clarify yeses and nos, it gives you time to sort through your maybes so that they go to yeses or nos. So I think, you know, one of the, like one of the main ideas from 15 um, commitments of conscious leaders, and and it's a book I really recommend reading and reading slowly. Don't feel like you need to get through it. You could read it over five years, read a chapter every now and then. And actually the book becomes like therapy or coaching, but there's this concept of being above the line or below the line and below the line, you're feeling defensive and like you want to be right. And above the line, you're kind of listening for feedback and you're, you're, you're recognizing that there's likely a point of view in there that will make you better. There's always something you can learn. And so, I mean, it's just one of the biggest things I take, I've taken away from being introspective is just to understand how I'm reacting to something and why. And that's been really, really helpful and, and powerful. But I think, I guess the thing I would say about being introspective, I mean, I think I've always just, I've always just kept a journal. My eighth grade English teacher had a start and Sometimes I'll go years, like when I'm having kids and like, I'm not introspective at all. I haven't written in my journal. You'll love this actually. One of our other friends from business school, a woman named Heather Fernandez gave me this when I saw her and it's like, Norty, put this in your bag and journal. And then I've been like, you know, journaling like crazy in it. And she got me out of typing journaling into writing journaling. Um, I just think it's something that you have or you don't. I think the biggest thing is to kind of cut yourself some slack when you're not being introspective. I really lean into it when it's happening and create time and space for it. You know, so I try to create the time and space for it in the mornings when I can. And then, um, I don't know, just have people around you that you trust enough, who love you enough to like love you with your weaknesses and blind spots and point them out. Because I actually think everybody wants feedback and the people I think are the least self-aware and the most narcissistic, they want feedback. There's just something about the way they show up where they don't get it or, or they're actually clinically narcissistic and or have borderline personality disorder and I would just avoid those people. Uh, um,
4: okay, so one of the things that, that you said a couple of times when you were describing this is the power of saying no, which is actually something that I learned only as an adult. And I don't know if it's like growing up as a woman and having kind of the, the sort of like gendered social education that I need to show up in a particular way and be appeasing and appealing to other people or whatever. But I had a hard time saying no. And then I started saying no and breaking up with people who were toxic for me. And it was so great. Like it, liberating to not have those forces in my life and to say you don't actually deserve a seat at my table I feel bad when you are here so there's the
0: door <laughs>
4: um I that hope I can't of...
0: get that Bethany
4: that sounds that god sounds no no no, I mean, I've broken up with like two people in my life, but like, being able to kind of say no and set boundaries has been really, really important for me too, in terms of preserving my energy, my mental health, emotional health. And I just wanted to pick up on it because it was something that you mentioned a couple of times.
0: I think I'm still really bad at this. And, you know, for me, actually, by the way, to your other question, one of the ways I've become introspective is by like seeing my parents' age and, and, and seeing one of my parents be introspective and one not. And then also being a parent to three daughters where they're all very different. And, and I think that, I mean, the reason I thought about my, the parents thing is I'm actually really bad at saying no because, and I'm also like, I love making friends and the more friends you have, the harder it is to say no. Uh, and so, you know, my dad is really bad at saying no. And I really, I've seen it, like he's really good at what he does. He's a doctor. He cares a ton. He's 75 years old and he's still constantly running himself to the ground, burning himself out, prioritizing others over him. And the interesting thing with doctors is that there's this I'm saving the world vibe that they can lean into. And so it always like whatever it is they're doing always will seem more important than they're taking care of themselves or even their family, their wife, their their kids at times. And and I, you know, I sat with him, we just went on vacation together. And I basically just said to him, I said, Dad, listen, you 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 just have to get to a place where you realize you're either going to disappoint other people that you care about, or you're gonna disappoint yourself. And at this stage of your life, disappointing yourself may cut your lifespan down pretty tremendously. So like the stakes are really high now. And for me to like see that and have awareness around that 30 years before him, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I, I I don't know what I'll do with that, but I think what I try to do is I'm trying to create more rules. I heard that Danny, I heard this podcast with Angela Duckworth, the woman who wrote Grit. Yeah, uh, one of my like one of my favorite podcasts. I think it was the Knowledge Project, and they do a bunch of you know kind of different things that that drive introspection. If you like podcasts, and she was talking about Danny Kahneman on that, you know, who's the famous economist did Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow and stuff like that. Anyway, and she said he has rules. So like just as an example, he everybody wants Danny Kahneman, uh, who's like a Nobel laureate behavioral economist, to write a little blurb for their book jacket. And so he has a rule on that. Either I know you very well and I'm gonna take the time to read the book. And even if I don't love it, I'll do it because you're one of my very closest friends or I have to love it and be really intrinsically connected to it and want to read it. Otherwise it's a no. And so it's a no for like 90% of the time because he doesn't have a time to read the book or this or the other, whatever it might be. And so I've been thinking that's my latest thing. I've had a little bit of introspection on is, is like, where do I just create some no rules that, that help me say like, okay, you know, I'm already doing two speakings that month. I, j- I just, I've committed to only doing two. I can't, I can't do them because I have a really hard time saying no, but it's a work in progress. And I also think the shadow side of that is like, you know, saying yes leads to serendipity and fun, fabulous things. And I just think you can't be afraid to go back and audit what you're doing and just sort of tell people you're pulling out because you need a mental health break or whatever it is that you need to create space to revive and, and reset. But it's definitely a thing I think I'll be working on the rest of my life.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, you, when you were talking about Having people in your life who will give you feedback and who will be really straight up and honest with you. I was thinking about your husband Jake, and I had put into the chat that you and I married the two nicest people in the entire world. But I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. Can you talk about like your partnership with Jake, and you know, and the like the role that he's playing, and in also enabling you to show up as your best self? I talked about this, when Kenny Vaughn interviewed me for the Breakline Arena with Michael, he, it's, he's like, marrying him was, I think, hands down on the best decision I've ever made, you know, for my business life. I'm not even talking about like my family life. Yeah, but to have a champion like that and also someone who will really give you the straight scoop. So
0: I wanna start by saying that, you know, I, I love a lot of, well, I love a lot of parts of Lean In But one part that I thought was tricky when I read it was like, have a great partner because for years and years and years, I mean, it seemed like years and years because Bethany and Michael have been dating since like college. Right. And, and I was like wandering, wandering the desert. Like, I don't know if there's somebody built for me. I actually used to read the New York times, uh, wedding section, like really looking at, are there people like me that actually get married? Like I needed, I needed some KPIs and some proof points to figure out like, was this, a, was this an idea I should even hold in my head? And so the reason I mentioned it is like, you know, I think, I hope that if I hadn't found Jake, I would have figured this out in a different way. I have so much gratitude and almost fear for what life would be like without him. But also I've seen so many friends figure it out in all sorts of different ways and like building your community and your tribes. What I'm about to say, I think applies to just having the right people around you. And and one of the things I truly believe is if you don't look for everything from one person, you're more likely to find that person. But we're not going into relationship advice here, are we? As I tell people, I've had one successful conversion. Anyone who gets married has figured it out, hopefully, exactly one time. Everything that came before (laughs) Jake was an utter and complete failure. So, But to answer your question, I... I think, I mean, being married to Jake has been transformational in in ways that I could not imagine. I think probably the best things I've gotten from him, you can get from a lot of romantic partnerships, which is, uh, and then I have a bunch of things I just got lucky around, but which is, you know, he, he sees me for who I am. And over time, that's made me feel much more confident and much more comfortable in just acknowledging my weaknesses, what I'm not good at. And he still loves, you know, he still loves me. And so in a way it's just, especially, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's imposter syndrome for, for all of us. And, uh, I think finding one person who kind of bears witness to your life, uh, can, it changed my life. And I think it removed a lot of a lot of unproductive unproductive insecurities i had and i wish i didn't need that for it to happen and and probably if i'd done a lot of therapy it would have happened but anyway it was that was helpful i think the second thing is you know there's all these things you, you have to decide well you how you want to do them in life and all these like cultural norms and stereotypes, right as what you do as a woman what you do as a man and all this sort of stuff and you know i think we struggled like everybody in some ways to figure it out when we started having children my my weaknesses became a lot weaker like I just stopped paying bills for a while you know (laughs) and I mean honestly I just gave over my last bill to him I think in the last month Amex is now on autopay guys because I do like the the strength of my credit score and it was it was in a precarious spot for a bit but you know, anyway, I would just say that I think over time, like, I think we figured out over time, honestly, how to become almost like a management team, which sounds a little bit ridiculous, but he's really good at certain things and I'm really good at other things and they are pretty complimentary and that definitely helps. And we got to a point where we actually like, just sort of like threw all the gender norms out and they're like, whose ambition to do what sits where? And, and we actually overtly figured it out versus naively thinking we should both just keep doing everything and keeping score and all those different things. So, I mean, and the final thing is, I think this is really important to find in a friendship in a family member in a spouse. We just love to talk, you know, and, and I think it's, I think it is so hard to not, to just create the space for that regularly with someone. And I try to do that with a couple of friends and I do it a lot with my family too, but Just making the space for the chemistry, like where you have talking chemistry, which sounds, you know, weird. I just think it's probably the most important thing to keeping me sane in my life is is not just having that with Jake, but having it with a couple of friends. Uh, And if Bethany and I lived in the same town, that would probably be what I get to do with Bethany all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I,
4: You know, the, in observing your marriage with Jake, it's like a, a, a wish I have for everyone here and everyone in my life that you have a partner who shows up for you unconditionally, you know, who loves you unconditionally, who will show up for you unconditionally, who sees all of you, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly, and who, who wants to be there, you know, seeing the full picture. So one thing that you've said in the past that I really, that I really love, and, and I think it it applies to you because you are like as down home as you are, you know, you're, and I, I warned everybody here that you're going to be super casual and kind of pretend to be a normal person when really you're like an extraordinary person who masquerades as a normal person. But you, you've said in the past something like, The idea that you're born amazing at something is like a ridiculous concept. You know, you can have aptitude, but no one is exceptional without putting in the work. Can you talk a little bit about that mindset, you know, which is really similar to a growth mindset, the whole idea that like you can develop expertise. You're not born into a station or into a role or into a level of performance. Everybody works hard to get there.
0: Yeah, I have two different things going through my head, but let me start on this one. So I think, I mean, one of the things I I say to my kids all the time is you're all smart enough. Like most people are smart enough. And so, you you know, and all the parenting books tell you, never tell your kids they're smart. Never tell your kids they're beautiful. And people still do it. It's very irritating, but, you know, but, um, uh, and then I say, you know, and and it's what I believe, which is that I think uh, when, when I was younger, you got the, I mean, and it still happens, these labels around the thing that people see in you that they value that's a, that comes across as almost like a character trait. You're smart, you're pretty, you're fast, you're this, you're that. And then when you bump up against not feeling smart or no longer being able to run fast or all these different things, you kind of stop, you know, and you give up. But if you actually think kind of, you have this mix of traits you know, smart being one of them, but there's a bunch of other ones that we all need to explore. Like what are the things that are my strengths? And I can get into like how different that is for me in venture capital and in an industry dominated by white Indian and Asian men and all that sort of stuff um, um, with great awareness that I have a lot of privilege as a white woman in the industry as well. But I think if you have the mindset of, okay, what my job from there is to figure out what I truly love doing and then to like just put in the work and work hard and work as hard or harder than those around me. If it's a thing I want, a thing I need, a thing I'm passionate about, I just like there's actually like apparently like research around this now. Somebody was telling me, oh yeah, woman from my peer my my peer coaching group was telling me that positive thinking. Um, Like there's there's a big study that shows it actually changes outcomes and and so it's not just positive thinking you have to do the work around it but to do the work around it you have to believe an outcome is possible and so I think that idea that we're always all in the process of becoming and that you know if we're fortunate enough to have you know kind of a family sustaining income and be able to pick and choose professions which is not true for everyone that you're kind of looking at butterfly effects in your life. You're looking for things like Angel City, and it, it doesn't need to be a job. It doesn't need to be a business thing. It can be a hobby. It can be a whatever, but you're looking to just kind of keep kind of playing the, the the poker game in the right way, such that at some point in time, you break through and this thing happens is, I think, is really important. And, and the quick final thing I'll say there, I mean, a lot of this is just happened, you know, for me in my forties and not that I'm, you know, young or old, I have the perspective now that age really is just a number because I think there were, there were like two people that I spent time with that really drove this home. And I'll just mention one of them for time, but one of them is um, Gloria Steinem, who I don't, some people like are as fangirly about Gloria Steinem as I am. And some people have never heard of her, but she was basically the, uh, she was basically the mother figure to the women's movement and launched Miss Magazine and all this sort of stuff. And I, you know, I've had, I've looked up to her since I was like a teenage girl. And I had the chance to, to meet her a few years ago. And she said something like, you know, I just, she was like 83. And she had just signed a 30-year lease on her next office space at 83. And i like, she's like, here, I have a lot of work to do. I moved the white women forward. I did not move the women of color forward. It was like, I I have a whole lot more that I need to go back and get right and move forward. And I got a good 30 years at least left in me. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's kind of amazing. Or, you know, Ariana Huffington, who started her first startup in her fifties, right. And her second one in her sixties. And I think, I think all of these narratives and labels around you do these things at these ages are not helpful. And these narratives around your smart group, et cetera, are not helpful.
4: Mm -hmm. You, you're, you're, you became co-managing partner of upfront. It was big announcement covered in TechCrunch and all over the place. And you're now like the, like a leading woman in venture capital. You know, you're kind of the, the North star for a lot of women in venture capital and a lot of women entrepreneurs. And it's a lot of pressure. And when that was announced, one of the things that, that you said was that you felt really proud about what you had worked so hard to achieve. And then you also felt like there was so much farther to go. You talked about texting folks like Trey Vasallo, who was a woman venture capitalist who jumped into the industry before Kara and saying thank you for for blazing the trail for me. How are you feeling about this this role and responsibility, you know, as, as a woman in VC and and really trying to open the door for other folks?
0: Yeah, I feel, I honestly, I feel, I feel depending on the day different ways, but in general, I'd say I'm trying, I, I feel um, very lucky, you know, I mean, a lot of life is, for sure working hard and, you know, doing things, but it's being in the right place at the right time. And, you know, I'm lucky to have the parents I have, lucky to have the education I have, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes I feel, you know, lucky to be a woman in the industry in this moment at this stage of my career, because it, it does give me so much energy for doing something more than, you know, waking up and hunting the best, next best startup, and then trying to, beat Andreessen Horowitz when I'm then gonna try to get Andreessen Horowitz to fund the company in the next round, you know, I mean, and so um, I feel like we're all becoming investment bankers. And I think if I had that, hopefully not, hopefully there's still people who care about like the character of the person who invests in their company on the board, but that's a a whole other topic. But I think there's like community and mission and something to prove beyond that, that, like, I really feel that is a very important thing for me. I think always happening, which happened out of a sort of a very bad moment in startup in tech land where, uh, you know, we had sort of the sexual harassment assault issues in tech. Like 15 of us basically just showed up to a dinner. I mean, it's another good butterfly effect moment where um, a woman named Aileen Lee, who was one of the trailblazers with that woman named Trey Vasallo, sent like 40 partner female partners at venture funds an email and, and basically just said, I think we're all feeling the same way, like crap, sitting at home, figuring out what we can do. I don't totally know what the answer is, but I could only come up with 40 partners off the top of my head after 20 years in venture capital who are women. And if we could just double that number in the next couple of years, we will have done something. Uh, If you're up for it, let's plan a dinner. And I sent it to 40. Fifteen of us showed up for that dinner. Uh, everyone was in the Bay Area except for me and one other woman, and we flew up. And uh, you know, that was the start of uh, something that's been, you know, very similarly important and community building in my life, which is All And none, like it, I, I would say, if people had told me I was going to show up and we were going to start a nonprofit, I don't know that I would have gone to dinner. Like, what? what? <laughs> you know, little kids at home and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, while we're sitting here, I'm definitely not distracted by it, but I see my iMessage pop up and it's three hearts from Jess Lee at Sequoia. And right before I got on, I was one with two of her female growth partners at Sequoia. And Jess and I had met before All Raise. She's now like a sister to me, you know? And I never, like, we probably would have been doing that posturing venture kind of thing. And, and we have each other's backs. We're looking out for each other. We're helping each other. We're like trying to, and it's a rem- like, we have to try hard because like women, I think in general have been trained to things being zero sum. And as much as we think we're fun, and I think it's generationally different. And Bethany, I, you, I'd love your perspective on this too, if you think it's an interesting topic, but I think even women of Bethany and, and, and my age, and we're very young as, as has been established, so young. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, we may think that we're like helping others and doing reciprocity and all that sort of stuff, but you, but you just kind of constantly have to push yourself to do more. And then the flip side is back to the no conversation. You're definitely gonna piss somebody off if you're saying no. If you're because you can't, you can't help all people and all things. And so it's just very careful balance. I'm very inspired by the Abby Wambach you know, uh, Wolfpack speech and book and, and also the Glennon Doyle untamed book or you can just have a book club off of this. But anyway, so I think to, to your question, I'm trying to just like live in the moment and enjoy it and appreciate the community I have. I, I feel very, very, very lucky and the stresses I have are lucky stresses to have.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: I want to get to a question from um, Patricia who's here and she says, thank you Kara, for being so candid. I recently read when things get really hard, it's not time to quit. It's time to take a rest. Do you recall moments in your life though where you needed to turn your back on something because you didn't find yourself in it anymore?
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, many. They felt really crappy at the time. I'm trying to figure out what I can share in this public forum. I think most of the things that I would talk about, I, I turned my back on. I didn't turn my back on, but like there's been a few, a very limited number. So there have been a very limited number of times where I'm doing a thing, a job, a thing I've really committed to. And it's just the relationship is just not working. And in a way where it just doesn't feel, it doesn't it doesn't feel values aligned. It doesn't mean it's not values aligned, but at the moment it doesn't feel values aligned. And at a minimum in retrospect, I can acknowledge that I was seeing one side of the story. Uh, for the most part, I look back on everything, even things I've walked away from with deep, that had deep, real relationships with the perspective of it's a two-way street. And, you know, I have to own my stuff and have a willingness to acknowledge how I was a part of the problem. But I kind of just believe these things work out the way they're meant to work out. And, um, you know, when, when things have actually broken, like jobs, relationships, things that shouldn't, usually one side or the other, uh, usually it is the other side of me. <laughs> Well, actually, but like, there's just a, I'm going to fight to make it work. You know, I think it's an acknowledgement that like the most important things in life that you've spent years on, there's something real there. And if you're feeling like trust is broken or values are broken, it's really worth kind of going through a hard time for, for months Maybe even a year, more than a year, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> to do your own personal work, to do work with that person, to take a vacation, to take a break from things and see if you can come back productively. If it's something that you, you really may regret not putting that amount of time and energy into on the other side of it. So I don't know if that was helpful or not, but um. You know, and then I listen, I think with, I mean, I specific advice I can give that I'd give to startups and sitting on startup boards and the like is, is that, you know, I think people are wired for, you know, different, uh, well, first of all, doing startups are hard. So if you ever start your own startup, I think the idea that like, I think it, this idea that you should be resilient forever is a bad idea. I think you should go into it with like a growth mindset about what you can accomplish. Cause it's irrational. It's completely irrational to think any of us can start a startup like what Bethany did. I'm constantly in awe of Breakline and the like, because so few make it and become what Breakline has become. And so I think giving yourself permission to fail and recognizing that the journey to that failure will truly make you better in life is a really important permission to give yourself upfront because there's a lot of things you should abandon. I mean, there are people who spend 10 years of their life on a thing, they probably shouldn't there's probably a higher a better and higher better higher use for their time um, and that's why if for, ever, for any reason ever you raise capital or something equivalent to that it's just really important i think to get aligned expectations up front because if you are somebody who cares about showing up for a relationship in the right way then then having ex, like having a relationship that expects you to do things that are different than where you might land can ruin your life. And the specific example I give there is like when I'm talking to founders that I'm funding at a seed stage, really comfortable stage for me to come in, this could work, this could not work, that's my job. I get to, you know, and it'll be really traumatic for you. And honestly, it'll be traumatic for me because I'm going to care about you. And if you care about this thing working, but it's going to be much less traumatic for me than it is going to be for you. But here's kind of what I expect if we're going to get into business together. And it's building, you know, a company of a certain size and like I sound ridiculous now and I'm saying it because I don't, you know, I, like I kind of need to back founders who think they're going to build multi billion dollar companies or more at the phase where they have no idea what they're building and they're often like Jeff's left a product job at CrowdStrike with a napkin. And I'm like, you can get a million things wrong. You can accidentally run out of money. But but this is like, this is my job is to, if I back 10 companies to make sure two or three get to that level. And so if your ambition is not to do that, if you don't want to be on a constant journey of fundraising and going that route, I'm not the right investor for you. And we should get that lined up upfront. But there are a lot of people who might feel that way. And so I very much undersell on that stuff often for people in industries like Bethany's really helped me. I'm super passionate about what you guys do at Breakline. And I think the pressures that venture capital can put on companies like Breakline are not healthy for building a long-term sustainable business that candidly can be worth that much or more. But if you have the pressure to go on that journey, sometimes it influences the journeys in ways that become self-fulfilling in a not super positive way.
4: Mm-hmm. I, you know, the, this line of commentary is <clears throat> reminding me of something I was thinking about the other day, which is if, it, if something feels hard to talk about, you know, if you get a pit in your stomach thinking about it, or you start getting a little sweaty like I do, that's an indication that it's a conversation that needs to be had. And you do need to lean forward into that. Nothing ever gets better because we, you know, ignore it and sweep it under the rug. Really just kind of coming out and being direct, even though it takes courage in the moment, because you might get a no, or you might get a, hey, we're going to go separate directions. You save so much time, so much heartache, so much of your dignity too.
0: Totally. I mean, and the, the analogy I give in, in, in my life is, you know, if uh, like why Combinator Demo Day was yesterday, And we fund companies at OI Combinator on occasion, but we look for very specific types of founders. And for the most part, what happens is that everyone just like, mails you a check. That's easy, right? Um, uh, You don't have any conflict, there's no conflict there. And so what I would would say to a a founder is like, negotiating an investment is a really important litmus test for whether you and I wanna be in business together because If you're showing up on my phone or I'm showing up on your phone and I'm like anxious every time, we shouldn't work together. And I think that analogy analogy is like, so I have the phone test for not just investing, but for a lot of things. Like when that person calls me or texts me, am I like, oh, low energy or am I like, oh God, you know, this is a hard topic but I'm super psyched to, to talk to this person. And so I, that's the thing I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. And I really do think the more you you can optimize for people who give you energy, the more you're gonna accomplish, the more you're gonna enjoy your life. And even if things don't work out, I, I just think you live a higher quality life and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, that matters. Uh,
4: so right before we started this conversation, I was telling Kara that I had so many questions and she's like we're gonna like we have an hour that's a long time i was like no it's gonna go by it's gonna go by 30 seconds we're now at our last question that's all we have time for nordy and i'm gonna give the floor to my um beloved rachel willis who you met and she in the chat i was saying that you describe yourself as an activist capitalist you know you're a venture capitalist you're also very philanthropic you do a ton of stuff for the community and Rachel is a social entrepreneur and her her organization is called Outpatch. And she's saying, how did you pick VC as the route toward creating impact? Like given the range of your interests and, you know, at one point you were choosing between Wall Street and a nonprofit when you were graduating from Princeton, like that was kind of the, the fork in the road for you, you chose Wall Street, but you still have a very, very strong impact. In- uh, uh, social impact influence. So how did you choose venture capital as the way that you wanted to show up in the world?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So first of all, I don't, I think I'm uncomfortable calling myself an activist capitalist just because I think it's, it's, it's so hard to live up to any moniker right now. And it took me a long time to even feel comfortable using the word activist in certain environments. I think that might be a different conversation, but I just, I sort of ascribe to, we're all going to make mistakes. I show, I, I really can identify in my forties, what, what I, what I feel energy to do things and put time time into as much as money into. And a lot of those things are nonprofit-y kind of causes. I can also really identify when there's a cause I want to feel like I want to support, but I just don't have the same level of passion for. And so I think like Rachel, though, to answer your question, I feel like, the, I feel like if you look back on anyone's career or like people always ask me about my career path it just feels like super linear and everything makes sense and I mean I don't I don't know literally every phase I'm like making it up. I don't know how I ended up in finance. I've done all this personality profiling now that would would lead me to believe that it's not necessarily where I was meant to end up. And yet I love my job. I do think that venture capital is a way to have impact, but I also think I'm really trying to think, and, and the reason is that we get to choose the people that are gonna create jobs, right? And we get to choose problems or opportunities that get funded but like I'll invest in cloud and cybersecurity or, you know, uh, Parachute Home. You guys should always, I'll go buy Parachute Home. And and actually a lot of the companies I invest in do have a sustainability angle or, you know, a health and wellness angle or this, that, or the other. But a lot of what I try to do is just do the human character test and you don't always get it right, by the way. And I'm like, is this person gonna create a culture and create jobs that are aligned with my values? Collaboration, having people show up as their their best selves. You know, we put, we were one of the first at Upfront to put a diversity rider like into our term sheet. We can't mandate it as a minority investor, but it's an opportunity for us to talk about our values at the time we're investing, which is if you're gonna interview people for a suite job, interview a diverse candidate. And so, you know, one company took that to the extreme and out of the gate, they they reported on diversity as a KPI pre-product market fit. You know, there's a lot of debate in venture around, you know, kind of how much pressure to put on a company. But I will tell you that if I'm in on the board of an enterprise software company and they're at 20 people and have 15 engineers and they're all men, they're gonna have a hell of a time hiring a woman. And so I try to catch more bees with honey and and pull them aside and just say, listen, like, if you don't prioritize it right now, it's not gonna happen and your culture is gonna suffer and your outcomes are gonna suffer. But like, I try to do it in a really nice way. And I'm like, and you can't hire one, you've got to hire two. And it's not just women, it's all the other things that help us see the world differently, religion, sexual preference, People with different political views, like all of these different things. I'm a minority investor, so all I can try to do is ha- catch more bees with honey. But I think ultimately, if, you fu- if we fund companies that become WeWork on one side of it, or I don't know, who do you guys really look up to from a culture, brand, and value standpoint? Bethany? I'm guessing you aren't going to bring up Coinbase. Um, so
4: who? No, I was actually going to say Breakline. <laughs> like I yeah, actually okay. do look up to our community.
0: Yeah, so for sure break line. And when I'm I'm sitting with Bethany like at dinner while I'm having a cocktail and she's having a sparkling water, um, (laughs) I like, how do you vet for culture and the human side of the job when you're interviewing? How do you do X, Y, and Z? So I'm constantly running around asking these questions so I can get better and better at finding people who can both drive big outcomes and create jobs and culture in the right way. I think it's just like having a lot of intentionality around it. And then I think it's super, super, super important to let people make mistakes and pick and choose where you're going to support people because all nuance has been lost. The good people who are fighting the fights are are taken down all the time right now and then get exhausted. And so it's really important to also like really lean in and support. Like I feel like my job increasingly will be to stand up for founders in the press when I really know them and believe in them. And when when the mobs come for them, because either because they've misunderstood something or they got something wrong. I and mean, I think that's really important. Otherwise like progress is gonna move really slowly and people aren't gonna try to build more mission-oriented companies. But anyway, I've become very interested in ESG and sustainability in, in like, as a practice without calling myself an impact fund and really being careful with terms and making sure I just try to live my values the best I can without put a ter- putting a term on it, so.
4: Nordy, I just love spending the last hour with you. Thank you so much. In the chat, I said it's amazing to see what one person can accomplish. And I continue to be so inspired by you and just love you so, so much. I'm so glad I got to share a little bit of your magic with the Breakline community.
2: Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode in the Breakline Arena. We hope that you're walking away feeling a little inspired, a little bit moved, and feeling as if you learned something.
1: I tell you what, if you enjoy what you heard today, we only need you to do one of three things hit that like button, hit that subscribe, and if it really touched your spirit, Go on, review and rate this episode. It would mean a lot to us. It helps us get the word out there. Um, it helps us continue to share this great content.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and most importantly, we just love to hear what you what you'd have to say about uh, some of the content that we're putting out there. So, um, please join us again here in the Breakline Arena. Once again, my name is Kenny Vaughn, and I am signing out from the Breakline HQ with my partner in crime.
2: Sophia Bodwin, we will see you guys next week.